I will be reading this morning from uh, the book of Romans, chapter 10. And if you want to uh, find it in your own Bibles or use the Pew Bible in front of you, those, those blue ones there, you can find it on page 946. And if you don't mind, I'm going to read the big print. This is God's holy word, Romans 10, 9 to 17. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. May God bless the reading of his word. In order to introduce my, our guest for this morning, our guest preacher, I, I, I give myself into the task of uh, watching a few episodes of Downtown Abbey. It's a British show. Uh, see if I didn't have enough problems with my own accent, trying to emulate, you know, a British accent. And the only thing that I was able to nail was to say, may I please have some water? Um, I, was, I, was, I was how far I got. So, but I'll keep practicing, uh, John. So our guest preacher today is a pastor. Uh, church planner. He has held key positions in various Christian mission organizations, including Director of Evangelism for Youth for Christ and UK, UK Director for More Than Gold in conjunction with the 2012 London Olympics. He's also the founder of the Lions Row movement and was recognized for his work with uh, Lions Row in 2014 as a CNN Hero of the Year. In 2015, John was honored by Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II with a British Empire Medal for his work around the world with children and communities. John was also commissioned as a president of and CEO of Greater Europe Mission in January 2016. Uh, John and his wife Sandra have been married for 32 years and have two daughters, Rosie and Emmy. And he is also a huge uh, soccer, not football, soccer, uh, fan, international preacher, and global missions enabler. He loves to travel, ski, watch sports, and spend time with his family and friends. But personally, one of the things that I, I love about him is his passion, his love, humility, and commitment to God and to all they have in here, the word of Jesus being preached to them. So please help me to welcome John Burns this morning. Thank you, brother. Yeah, I know what you mean. You laugh about the water word. For ages, we couldn't get a glass of water till I learned to say water, because I'm living in Texas, right? Do you have some water? 
with a D in the middle? Ah, then I get water. My accent's not very Downton Abbey. I come from the north of England. We're a bit different up there. Uh, thank you so much for allowing me to be part of the service today. This, this is a great church, and I don't mean a building, although it is beautiful. I mean it's a great church because of you, the people. Um, if it's not too naughty of me, I judge a church quite quickly by its missional heart. And I love to see a church, it's like um, two pedals on a bicycle. Have they got a heart for local mission and global mission? Because if it's got those two pedals on the bicycle of local and global, it tends to be a missional church that moves the purposes of God. And I know this is such a church. I know it because if you've got this photograph, we've got five people in a city called Frankfurt, Germany, that are from this very church. You might recognize some of them. And uh, yeah, do give them a round of applause. They're pretty special, this bunch. Uh, let's say there's seven, actually not five, because I forgot the kids. Seven of them from this one church, all working together in Frankfurt. And it's a gift. It's a gift to that city from this city. It's a gift to the churches they serve from this church. And I want to thank you. More than anything else, I just want to thank you today for your commitment to local and global mission and to our mission, Greater Europe Mission, as you've sent these people. It, a particular gift to me is Carol and Rich Bonham, who I know this church has been supporting for many years. When I got the job six years ago running Greater Europe Mission, Rich was already on the leadership team and he's been a trusted friend and a wise advisor to me. And at the time when I got the job, they were working in southern Germany at our big back office that he'd built. And I asked them to move to Frankfurt as we started a new push into critical cities across Europe. And they've gone and pioneered the work there and grown the work from five workers to 25 workers in just three years. And they're an absolute gift. So thank you particularly for sending Rich and Carol to us. They've been a, such a blessing to me and to so many people. Uh, as you heard in the passage today, we're gonna talk about this idea of how do we preach at the end. I've always believed that Jesus was coming back in my lifetime. I've always believed it since I was in my 20s. And this passage, which I adore, is, is kind of a high point of theology. The whole book of Romans is a high point of theology. And, and this particular passage that you've just heard from is um, where Paul is discussing Israel's need for salvation, that Israel needs a savior. And obviously, Jesus is that savior. And this really simple idea that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. A fact, a promise. And then this really simple formula for how that might happen, that people are sent and they share the good news of Jesus and then people understand and people believe. They are saved when they call on the name of the Lord. And we're gonna look at that a little bit today. Let me do a couple of Simple uh, definitions to get us started. The word evangelism is this dirty word. A lot of us hate the word, if we're honest, right? Because it instantly makes us think, oh no, it's that thing I don't want to do and I feel like I have to and I don't feel good enough to and I'm scared of doing it. And it's this awful, ugly word in the church. I have a friend who wrote a book with evangelism in the title, It Didn't Sell. And the booksellers got him in and said, let's change the title and watch it. It went massive. This word evangelism freaks us out. 
But it's a really simple concept. Best summed up by Charles Spurgeon. I was very fortunate to go to Spurgeon's Bible College in London when I was a younger guy. And, uh, and he said famously, evangelism is very simply one beggar telling another beggar where to get some bread. For all those, and there's great definitions of evangelism out there, that's my favorite. One beggar telling another beggar where to get some bread. Because it, it's not that, you know, some people are superior and they can look down on the poor and helpless and, and tell them all these truths of life. It's that we're all in the same mess and some of us have found a way out and you could do with finding a way out as well, right? One beggar telling another beggar, look, this works, this feeds, this sustains, this saves. You should try it. This simple idea. And what is the good news? We use the word gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is really simply the good news about Jesus, a person, Jesus. Who he is, what he's done, and what he's done for you. That's the good news. This, this person of Jesus who is in very nature God, came to this earth, lived on an earth, modeled what it's like to be a, a true godly human being, and then died on a cross to take the punishment that we deserve for the things that we do wrong in our life. This once for all act of atonement that all of us can be redeemed through. And then died. And then three days later, rose again to prove that he has power even over death so that you and I never need to fear death. And then offers this life, this kingdom life, where we can come to him and everything can change. And so Jesus offers all kinds of answers to our life. He offers us forgiveness. And for some of us, we need to know that because we find it hard to forgive ourselves. And we don't think we ever should be forgiven for the stuff that we've done that only a few of us know about. Jesus offers a clean slate. He forgives anything, anyone who genuinely comes to him in repentance. He brings freedom that we all want from all those things that oppress us. He alone brings wholeness and peace in a world that's turbulent around us. Jesus answers all the first order questions of life. You know, um, who am I? Questions of identity. Jesus can help you understand who you are. He answers questions of why am I here? Questions of destiny. He alone can answer questions of eternity. Where am I going when this is all over? You know the old Sunday school joke about how come every, every question, the answer is Jesus, because it is. Because Jesus is the answer to every question. He, he changes our lives. He turns everything upside down. He transforms us. He, he doesn't make us boring. He sets us free. Following Jesus is the greatest thrill for a beggar like me. And it might work for a beggar like you. We talk about the gospel moving at the speed of relationships. The idea that, that this gospel message actually is passed on through relationships. And if I go, and that's mostly true, I'm going to give you some examples when it's not in a moment, but that's mostly true. 
And so if I asked those of you that already know Jesus and already follow him here today, if I asked you, how did that start? How did you, how did you get introduced? How did you meet Jesus? How did that happen? I bet you there is a who in the how. There's probably somebody that got you involved in that conversation. There's probably somebody that introduced you to Jesus, modeled what a life in Jesus is like to you, shared openly about, about who Jesus is. Might be a family member or your parents or your grandmother or someone you met at work or a neighbor that you met. Usually there's a relationship that kind of gets you introduced to Jesus. Uh, I met Jesus in a strange way. So I was uh, born into a pretty church-going family in the northeast of England. My grandfather had come to faith when he was 45 years old, which was a good job because he was a soccer hooligan and he needed Jesus. So my grandfather he stopped a life of crime and alcoholism and, uh, and beating people up and started actually setting people free once he met Jesus. And my parents were church planters which meant inevitably when I was 13, I fell off the deep end and I was just a horrible, horrible kid for quite a few years, awful, into all kinds of trouble. And then the wonderful Dr. Billy Graham came to town, 1984, one of his crusades. And uh, because he's smart, he knew that the way to reach English men was to put his message in a football stadium, a soccer stadium, if you like. And so he came to England and he was doing a tour over 10 weeks, 10 soccer stadiums. Because he didn't know any better, he didn't go to Middlesbrough, which is where he should have gone, my team. Instead, he went to Sunderland. Boo, that's where you all go, boo. Like it's a pantomime, boo. And it's like our enemy. But I knew how it worked. I knew that the local Baptist church would put a bus on and we would all go and there'd be thousands of people there. Then at the end, there'd be an invitation to follow Jesus and you could go onto the field. So I told my stupid friends, and I was the captain of stupidity, let's go, we get a free bus ride. We all pretend to become Christians. We go down and we steal turf off the field. Because that'll teach them. That'll teach those Sunderland fans. And this was genuinely our plan. It wasn't the Holy Spirit's plan, but it was our great plan. And literally one by one, my friends became Christians. One by one over four nights. And I was the last one. And I was the last one because I knew what it meant. I'd seen it modeled in my grandfather and my parents. I knew, I knew life with Jesus was all or nothing. And I'd tried nothing. It wasn't working very well. And it had to be all. I counted the cost and I knew if I come to Jesus, it's going to change my whole life. And it was the best decision I ever made. I met my wife, actually, that week. She was on the counseling team. I was on the turf stealing team. But anyway, and it, it's been a beautiful marriage ever since. <laughs> now, not everybody meets Jesus just through a way like that. Most people meet Jesus through someone that has shared life with them. I actually believe that, that we share Jesus through our attitudes and our actions long before our words. Jesus said this, didn't he? Um, uh, by your love, they will know you are my disciples. By your love. Not by your judgmentalism or by your pithy attacks on Facebook to someone on whatever conspiracy theory you have today. No, no. By your love, they will know you are my disciples. Imagine if the church in this country was famous for this one thing, loving people. Imagine. Because that's not what we're famous for, by the way. 
And yet actually it's part of, part of Jesus' evangelism plan. If we love people, if we, model, if we model what Jesus in us is like in our attitudes and our forgiveness of others, maybe they'll understand forgiveness. If we model unconditional love, maybe they'll understand unconditional love. You know, friends, if you, if you learn nothing else today, I, just uh, remember this simple trick. Love people. <laughs> and, and, you know, sometimes it's easy to love the people we like, not always. But more than that, we're called to love the people we don't even like. Jesus was asked, you know, once, who is my neighbor? And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And in this ridiculous story, the hero of the story is their enemy. And in this is Jesus saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love others like you love yourself. Love your neighbor, even if your neighbor is your enemy. Love them. By this love, they will know you are my disciples. Now, you know, God doesn't need us, by the way. Um, I used to, as a young man, think God did need me. He clearly doesn't. He doesn't need me to love people to reach them. He doesn't need me to have relationships with people to reach them. I grew up in a good old Baptist church. We had this joke, do you need to be a Baptist to go to heaven? No, but why take the chance? And, and we meant it, do you know what I mean? We meant it. <laughs> um, and the way I grew up, the way I was taught, if I'm honest, it was like God needed us. Like we had a job to do, like it was a duty and then this journey I've been on, I find all these people meeting Jesus in a dream. If this church today was in London and my, my friend Pastor Yazanaga, he's got a church of five, 600 Iranians in London. And if we were there today and he asked the question, how did you meet Jesus? 60 to 80% of them, might even be more, would say, oh, I met him in a dream. The man in white, it's happening all over the world to Muslims, they're meeting Jesus in a dream, this man in white, and then they meet someone who loves them, it helps by the way, who loves them and says, hey, that man in white dream, I know him, it's Jesus, my friend, in fact, you know him, he's in your book, and he's more than you think, he's the saviour. It's happening all over the place. I have this privilege of leading Greater Europe Mission. We've had seen incredible things happen in Southern Europe where we've dived into the refugee crisis and, and, and literally every day we're meeting somebody who's had a dream about the man in white and we teach our people to ask them, hey, did you have a dream about the man in white? I did. And let me tell you about him. It's like picking fish out of a barrel. He doesn't need us. I, used to, I didn't used to believe in miracles till I started seeing them. I'm like, oh no, that affects my theology a little. <laughs> Jesus doesn't need us, right? But does choose to get us involved. Because as this passage says, the gospel moves verbally, very often. Even when someone's met a man in white, even when someone's been healed of some disease, eventually someone needs to explain who the man in white is, who Jesus is. And this passage tells us we need to be sent so we can share, so people can understand, so they can be saved. Simple equation. Because everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. So the gospel moves from home to home and person to person. 
and heart to heart and mouth to ear. I've found this again recently in this last year even. So um, I send missionaries from America to Europe and ridiculously, God sent me as a missionary to America. Funny that, really. And uh, yes, you do need them, by the way. And, uh, and we moved into a new neighborhood in Dallas, Texas. And uh, I'm not a local, you can probably tell. And uh, we moved into this new neighborhood and it's 2,000 homes built in the last 15 years. Uh, and it's a little peninsula by a lake near the airport. And there's no church, no church building uh, within nine miles of my house. Can you believe it? Texas, nine miles, not a church within my house, uh, nowhere near my house. And so last summer, I couldn't get back to Europe because the pandemic and everything. And so I got offered a 30-day golf trial uh, where we live in this golf resort neighborhood kind of thing. And I'm like, why not? Well, the answer should have been because it's 100 degrees and you're English. But anyway, so I get a 30-day golf membership and I start playing. I played 24 times before I collapsed in a heap. And, um, and for 24 days, literally, I got to share my faith every single round of golf. I'd just turn up, get picked up with a two or three ball. I'd play, play golf. Never knew it was the evangelism technique. It worked. And every single day, I got to share my faith. People, people who'd never been to church would get chatting. People who used to go to church and got hurt and have stopped going. People who used to go to church and had just moved into this brand new neighborhood and it, they'd left a church 20 miles away. They didn't want to go back, different stage of life. And so we planted a new church there uh, in Easter. Me and my wife and a couple of friends. We've now got about 50, 60 people coming. Probably a third of them have never been to church before. We've got Bapticostals and everything in between, you know. A lot of Catholics, actually, loads of Catholic brothers and sisters coming and loving it. And uh, it's wonderful. And on Thursday night, uh, my friend Dina, who's part of the leadership team, uh, she's a great preacher and she preached the gospel. And, and three of our neighbors came to faith on Thursday night. People that we've had in our home, people that we've shared our hearts with, people that we've unpacked who Jesus is to. It's happening even in my own neighborhood. You know, I, I have a job, greater admission but I get to be a witness locally because it's not just for the professionals, this thing. We've learned a lot during this pandemic about the R rate, you know, the infection rate, right? So we know that if, if the infection rate is less than one, it means the pandemic's subsiding. And if, the pande if we're going more than one to one, it's multiplying. And it occurs to me that our faith is meant to be infectious, Right? And that we're meant to be multiplying beyond one-to-one. -one. Like every one of us could introduce someone else to Jesus. Some of us could introduce two people. Some could introduce 12. Some could introduce 100 over their lives. And it multiplies like wildfire. The truth of Jesus. It's kingdom life. And so we push in to this hour rate with everything we've got. I, I lead Greater Europe Mission. We're 72 years old. We were born in Wheaton, Chicago. If you know the Aldi at Carroll Stream, that was our old office about 30 years ago. And uh, 72 years sending missionaries to Europe. We have 650 workers in 23 countries doing all kinds of different work, particularly now focusing on key cities and how we equip church leaders and unity movements and discipleship on the streets. It's wonderful. You're welcome. Come and join us. You're already doing pretty well in Frankfurt. We have some other cities you could help us with. You might say, why Europe? Well, you might think it's full of churches, right? Well, it is. It's full of empty buildings. 
but it's not full of followers of Jesus, which is the church. It's, uh, it's the most unreached continent in the world. There's revivals going on. I could argue if I had more time on tipping points, but in Asia and South America and Africa, there's tipping points where more and more people are getting saved and there's actually tipping points in nations towards revival. That is not happening in Europe. Well, it actually is, but it's amongst Muslim refugees. Other than that, it's not happening in Europe. If you went to Holland, the Netherlands, 0.1% of Jesus followers in the nation. Not 0.1%. 2% is this magic number of where, um, you know, an unreached people group. I want to tell you the whole of Europe is an unreached people group. 750 million of them in cities. And we need resources. We need people like you to come and help us reach. It's critical. You know, where Europe goes, the world goes. You can reach the whole world in Europe, which is why we focus on it. So we believe in Sending people to the ends of the earth. That's what we do in Greater Europe Mission. But I want you to hear this. Sharing faith with people is not just a job for the professionals. It's actually none of our jobs. It's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit's job is to reveal sin and the need for Jesus to people. He's the great evangelist, right? There is only one. It wasn't Billy Graham, much as I adore him. The Holy Spirit is the great evangelist. Now, some people are called to be evangelists, but, but really the job of an evangelist is actually to equip the saints for work of service, Ephesians says. Because all of us are called to be a witness. It's like healing, right? I don't think I've got the gift of healing, but I'm called to pray for the sick. You may not think you've got the gift of an evangelist, but let me tell you, you're called to be a witness. I used to be a policeman in London uh, for about five years. Funny outfit, funny hat, Bobby, right? And I worked in London as a, as a cop for years. And uh, one of the first things the teachers at cop college, or whatever they called it back then, is um, how to be a witness. Because something happens, we watch something, we observe it, we understand it, we write it down. Four or five months later, we're in court. Uh, your honor, you swear by the Bible, blah, 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 and you give your evidence as a witness. Now, there are such things as um, expert witnesses. So it might be a medical case or some crime investigator. They're an expert witnesses. Policemen aren't expert witnesses. And if you were called up as seeing an incident, you're not an expert witness, but you're still a witness. And all a witness does, really simply, is share what they saw, what they've seen, what they heard, what they know to be true. And that's it. You don't have to be an expert on anything. Some of us feel we have to be an expert before we tell everyone about Jesus. We don't. There are some expert witnesses, but most of us are just witnesses. We don't need to know the answers to all of life's questions. We just need to know who Jesus is to us. The difference he's made in our life. What have you seen? What have you heard? What do you know? Be my witness. Acts 1.8, isn't it? You will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes and empowers you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. I sometimes read that, those words from Jesus, the last words of Jesus, you know, I'd argue therefore the most important, 
the, the last words of Jesus before he ascends to heaven. And I imagine I'm Peter, one of the disciples. And I'm Peter. And in the last few days, I cut off someone's ear with a sword. And then later on that night, I was sat by a fire and someone asked if I knew Jesus and I absolutely denied it and I did a runner. And then I got scared and I went into hiding. And Jesus comes up with this master plan to reach the world. And I'm hoping he says, and Peter, I want you to go to the ends of the earth because no one knows what a failure I am at the ends of the earth, right? I can go and pretend to be holy and wise and strong and courageous. But no, he says, Peter, I want you to be a witness in Jerusalem where you currently are, where everybody knows that you're a failure and you've denied Jesus and you got angry, where people know you're a normal person, where actually the other beggars know you are actually a beggar as well. That's Jesus' master plan. Start where you are. Some of you will get called to the ends of the earth. Maybe for a one-week trip or a, you know, a year or two or the rest of your lives. But the calling of Jesus is to be a witness where he's put you, where you're a normal beggar like everybody else. And then he says, after Jerusalem, Judea, where you have relationships, where you, you know, you've got friends and you've got wider family. And then after that, Samaria, which by the way is the enemy, because at least you've got a relationship with your enemy. And he's like, so, so we'll go to Samaria and then you might be ready for the ends of the earth. This inverted plan of Jesus to start where people know what you like, where you can be authentic. Round the corner, before around the world. Cross the street, before across borders, perhaps. Every sermon gets to this point where you want to shout, how? Go on, I dare you, shout how. Now let me tell you how I've learned to be a witness. I hope it'll be encouraging and simple all of us and I've learned to pray because I learned it wasn't my job it's the Holy Spirit's job and so when it, in my new neighborhood I used to prayer walk and then I realized it was bigger neighborhood than I thought so then I got a pedal bike and I, I, I prayer cycle now instead of prayer walk and I, I just I walk and I pray and I bump into people and I pray for them Lord if you want to do something in that person's life make a way me or somebody just do something praying all the time that God would you know, prepare the way for his revelation of Jesus, that he'd, that he'd in, get involved in people's lives. I know some people are suffering. I just I walk past the house and I pray for them. There's, where we live, there's loads of marriages we're worried about. Just walk past people's houses and pray for the marriages. So I pray because I know it all depends on God, not me. And then I had this crazy idea. What if I befriended non-Christians? Because, you know, I know that when I get to heaven, I'm going to spend the rest of eternity befriending you lot, right? And I know that when I get to heaven, I'm not going to be able to befriend any non-Christians because it'll be too late. So till Jesus takes me home, and I, he nearly did three years ago and I had a heart attack, so I'm, I feel like I'm on borrowed time, but till he takes me home, I might as well invest my time in those that don't know him. Some of us get scared of, of befriending those that don't know Jesus. Like, what if it gets awkward? Or what if they do things I don't approve of? By the way, they do. <laughs> Befriend people. Love them. It's the only thing you can't do when you get to heaven. And then I try and listen. 
Be kind to people, that crazy idea of loving people. Occurred to me recently that the fruits of the Holy Spirit, that is, the Holy Spirit living in our lives, isn't just to empower us with the power to be a witness, but more than that, it comes in our lives to transform us. And we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, right? Peace and joy and kindness and self-control. And it occurred to me that these very things that Jesus wants to do in me through his Holy Spirit actually softens the ground around me for his Holy Spirit to work. That if I am self-controlled and kind and loving and forgiving, it softens the ground around me and around my friends for Jesus to start working. So I try and love people. I try and be kind. I try and listen. Um, as a preacher, it's hard to listen sometimes because I want to wait my turn to talk. But I've had to learn to really listen or I miss it. I miss the connection that God's making. I miss a chance to prove that I love people. Do you know the, um, you know kanji symbols? You know, um, like Chinese writing or Japanese writing? They have like really beautiful symbols that mean words. The kanji symbol for listening is actually made up of three words plugged together. And it's eyes, ears, undivided attention. So to listen means eyes, Ears, undivided attention. Something incredible happens when you really listen. The opportunities to share present themselves. And by the way, people reciprocate and really listen when they ask you a question. Just let's learn to listen so that I can share, so that I can preach, if you like, so that I can share life and I can share truth and most of all, I can share Jesus. I share life because I want to be authentic, because I'm a beggar like every other beggar on the planet, and I found some bread. So I share my life with people. Don't try and be something I'm not. I share truth, even when it's hard to talk about. I share Jesus as quick as I can. I had this uh, incredible experience in France a few years ago, and uh, I speak English French, which means no French at all. And, uh, but I do it with an English accent, like that'll help. And um, I was in a city, and I'd had to drop a car off to be repaired at a garage. And I'd stayed over at a hotel, and I was getting a ride in a taxi the next day to, this, uh, to pick my car up. And we drive past this beautiful church, and I look at it, and I think, oh. And I remembered some words, and I went, oh, Escalegli's Catholic is the church Catholic. Very proud of myself. And he's like, uh, oui, pourquoi? Why? Oh, um, je suis un chrétien. I'm a Christian. That'll do it. Pourquoi? Oh, no. I've got nothing left. Um, the only thing that came to mind was je t'aime Jésus. I love Jesus. He just stared at me. And I thought, in English, how long would it have taken me to say I love Jesus? What, 10 years, <laughs> right? I love Jesus. I do. I'm not ashamed of it. People can think I'm crazy, but they rarely do, actually. Get to Jesus. Get past religion. Get past all the arguments. Get past all the politics. Just get to Jesus. Jesus. 
Tell people about Jesus, your friend, your saviour, your Lord. Admit that you love him and watch what happens. Let's share Jesus, not all our opinions. Friends, let's spend a moment thinking about why we do this. Because I don't want it to be duty. You know, I grew up under that for a while. Like, I was saved to serve or something. It's not duty. It's not, it's not that we have to. The Holy Spirit's job is to reveal Jesus. It's not our job. But we do it because we've been called to join in. Be my witnesses. As my spirit empowers you, Jesus said. And so if, if we are called and we are equipped by the infilling of the Holy Spirit, our witness should very simply and very naturally just be an overflow of grace and love and truth. Because people need Jesus, right? They need him now and they need him forever. I had this lovely Irish friend who's a pastor and he used to say, and I can't do the accent, but it was great the way he said it. Um, Christianity is not about pie in the sky when you die. It's about steak on your plate while you wait. Christianity is not about pie in the sky when you die, although there's going to be some pie. <laughs> it's about steak on your plate while you wait. People need Jesus not just for when they die. I need Jesus for today. So do you fellow beggars, and so do our friends around us. We need Jesus to survive this life, to find peace, to find forgiveness, to find identity and destiny and eternity. People need Jesus, and he's coming soon, friends. I don't know when. I don't, I, I don't spend my time actually trying to read all the signs, the end time signs, I actually think I'm meant to spend my time sharing Jesus with people while there is still time. Yeah? We get obsessed with end times when we're meant to be doing the work of end times. Sharing Jesus. Because the end's coming. What would it be like for you and I to live like a sent one? What would it look like for you and I to pray where we are what it look like to befriend people, to love them, to be kind to them, to listen to them? What would it look like to really naturally share Jesus and our lives and the truth? How beautiful could your feet be if you'd be prepared to be a sent one, if you'd be prepared to share so that people can understand, so that people can believe because anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? Let's pray that together, shall we? Lord, I want to thank you that you haven't given us a job today <laughs> that we, we could fail or succeed at, but instead you've invited us to join in with your Holy Spirit. And I believe, Lord, that it's your heart that 
all of creation would be redeemed, including the people on this planet. And so we recognize what's your job, and we recognize what a gift it is to join in. Pray it wouldn't be anything else. Wouldn't be, wouldn't be any guilt. Wouldn't be any expectation. It would just be a joy, an overflow of what you're doing in us. An overflow of grace and truth and love. You'd help us just to be a witness, pure and simple. To say to people what we know and what we've seen, what we've experienced. And that people around us would find what we found answer the saviour and the lord and we ask those things in your precious name